Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for Utah jazz basketball content, always at free from a fan's perspective and with an analytical emphasis. I'm your host, Adam Bushman. You can find me on Twitter at Jabber underscore Bushman, or excuse me, at Adam underscore Bushman. Follow the, the podcast, though, too, at Jabber underscore Jazz. And with me to break down the offseason free agency and be our CBA tour guide, I have McCade Pearson. Welcome, buddy. How are you? Um, if this thing goes viral, we'll make that their Twitter account for finding use case for it. Yeah, so things are great. We are excited. Today was a Christmas day as we finally got the CBA in our hands after three, four, five months of just hearing rumors about it. Yeah, the Christmas, uh, yeah, the NBA Christmas Day intersected with, you know, free agency Eve Eve. Uh, what a day for the, uh, the NBA and all front offices who are now scrambling. And as they all scramble, we're going to kind of gently, a little more gently than they are, kind of go through the, the CBA. McCade's going to be our tour guide. We're going to break down a lot of some of the on-court impact. Um, then we're going to kind of review some of the things that we actually know about what has transpired thus far in the offseason, how it affects the Jazz books, um, what it kind of spells and means for the rest of their offseason, and ultimately their future down the road. Um, also check out some remaining priorities, potential routes that the Jazz can still take, all that kind of stuff and more we're going to get to on the podcast. So if you like what we're doing, please hit the subscribe button, either on the podcast app that you're in or on YouTube if you're watching there. Give us a follow on Twitter, leave a review or comment, all that and more. just helps this podcast and the other content we give out to hit more Jazz fans everywhere. Well, without further ado, let's Jabber Jazz. Right, McCade. So the collective bargaining agreement, that is the deal struck between NBA owners and players that is managed and directed by, uh, you know, the NBA offices. And it is new this year. It's going to extend through the 2029-2030 season. Some stuff is kind of phased in in a couple years, but some stuff is implemented immediately. And virtually everything is going to impact decisions that front offices maybe already made <laughs> in some cases they already made decisions without the full cba that got released today um, but all of it is going to be impacting decisions that are being made right now and that will impact their teams long term um, so i think for our discussion we'll kind of center on some of the on-court impact i don't mind if we touch on oh the players can now um, collectively invest in nba teams and and participate in you know betting shares and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, that that kind of you know helps the players out for like their long term wealth. You're growth You're not going to let me talk about <laughs> how many uh, randomized drug tests I can do throughout the year because that number came in at like one thousand nine hundred or something. Oh my anyway, goodness! That's on the thing that we won't talk about. But yes, there is. 500 pages of that stuff we can ignore. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll have a little bit of tri trivia over-unders where McCade will throw in some of that random stuff there at the end. But uh, to kind of start, we'll, we'll center on the on-court impact stuff that uh, it really is about team roster building and what ends up uh, defining how teams put together their on-court product. All right, so McCade, you're our CBA tour guide in the Michael Scott meme. Explain this to me like I'm five. I'm not five. I know a little bit about the CBA adjustments, but I will proxy even the most out-of-tune jazz fan, and you can kind of walk me through the, uh, the changes in the CBA. Uh, what are kind of your high points, your cliff notes, and let's break it down. I think it's super easy to see all the changes on social media and everywhere else and think, holy crap, so much is going on. I think it's important to stop for a second, talk about what the CBA is and isn't, and how it really doesn't change that much from time to time. It has big impacts, but as I mentioned, it's 676 pages this time around, and about 500 pages of those are still exactly the same. That you know, teams still travel on this day, teams still have this many days off, they still play 82 games, all that fun stuff. But what the CBA is, is it's, as you mentioned, the players say, hey, we want this from the NBA, the owners say we want this from the NBA, and they figure out how to split all the money 
um, that comes the NBA's way, usually about $9 billion a year, to make sure everybody can feed their families, and in most sports cases, a heck of a lot more, right? That's right. Um, but let's start by mentioning some things that are staying the same, and that is everything we know about the last CBA is basically staying the same. It just might be being changed. So the salary cap is the same. The luxury tax is the same. Trades are still the same. We still have the same exceptions everywhere. We did add one new exception, which I don't know if we'll quite get into too much with the second round picks because the Jazz didn't have any this year. But for the most part, everything stayed exactly the same. Players will still get 51% of the money and owners will still get 49% of the money. But the actual inner workings between teams and players, um, some things did change in the details, how much players can get paid, that sort of thing. But I want to point that out first. Things are mostly the same, um, which goes to show how great it was coming out of the 2011 lockout into the KD 2017 um, collective bargaining agreement and whatnot. The things are in a good place with the NBA. Everybody's pockets are being filled just fine. Yeah, that is a that is a good distinction. In many cases, some of the margins are being changed. A lot of the uh, newsworthy items, it seems like they're just components that are kind of being stacked uh, onto what is already the core foundation that most people kind of already know and intuitively kind of grasp about the CBA. So where do you want to start? Do you want to go through kind of some things that impact the Jazz in the next few years? Or do you want to go into more second apron stuff that Jazz fans hopefully shouldn't have to care about for numerous seasons? Let's let's talk about second apron, you know, uh, really kind of define what it is and how immediately few teams it impacts and how long-term it really kind of adjusts the perspective and plan for roster building. I think that's a great place to start because it is going to have an impact on all 30 teams even teams that are not close to it because it just closes the window on a lot of opportunities. So first let's kind of talk about what an apron is. So we all know what the salary cap is. You can spend X amount of money. Um, the NBA runs on what's called the soft cap, which is, yes, we told you you could spend a dollar, but you can really spend a dollar twenty. We won't tell anybody, right? Uh, compared to somebody like the NFL that you have your dollar and once, if you spend a dollar in one, you're, you're in trouble. You're in huge trouble. So... You get your dollar, you have exceptions to the rule, but on the NBA, like 95% of things run on exceptions. Um, anything you see happen in the NBA is basically teams cheating, um, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and then the apron is above that luxury tax of saying, okay, you've cheated so much, we're going to punish you a little bit. I'm using cheating very, very, very lightly here. Um very lightly here but that's kind of the idea of it and so that those aprons we've had one for a while and now we have the second are saying hey if you get to this you've as i said for lack of a better term cheated so much we're gonna actually establish some punishments and take some things away from you yeah, yeah the whole the whole point is incentivizing teams to treat it like a hard cap but give the teams flexibility to not always be hard capped in a sense for sure. So there's a couple different ways you can be actually hard capped. Those aren't changing as much. You can look them up. In short, if you break a rule of the first apron, you get hard capped at the first apron. If you break a rule of the second apron, you get hard capped at the second apron. Um, but the things that really with the second apron set up for what makes it feel like a hard cap to a lot of teams are that they take away your mid-level exception. So now you can't sign players to anything more than the minimum at all. Um, and they take away, I think it's 110% this year, but it's going to be 100% in future years. Um, you're right to bring in trade, bring in extra money in trades. Yeah. So, for example, this is targeting the Warriors and Clippers in the short term, right? Um, the Clippers have had numerous trades in the last four or five years. Well, they'll trade out $15 million for a $17 million player. And then six months later, they'll trade a $17 million player for a $19 million player. And then a 19 for a 21 and all of a sudden you look big picture and they traded a 15 for a 25 million dollar player that will no longer be a thing so even if you don't get hard capped you're kind of hard capped in that you have no way to add salary because you can't use anything more than the minimum you can't trade for more than 100 percent so there's there's no way for you to add salary to your books um despite it not being a hard cap it's kind of a team set hard cap which 
on top of the penal the penalties and the actual opportunity cost of losing things like that MLE make it a really tough pill to swallow um, when it comes to team building. And then long term, there are some some penalties and implications for being a repeat offender for breaking that that second tax threshold, being that second apron, being above it multiple times starts having some really punitive punishments. Yeah, at one point they have said that if you break it X years and X out of Y years, I think it's four and five, just like the repeater taxes, then your first round pick, like way out, probably three or four years after that um, fourth number, immediately drops the number. I'm going to go out on a limb and say 32 at the time. We'll see what happens in the next 10 years. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it'll drop to 32 at the time, um, which isn't fun. So I do think that... I think they could put any threat there and it would have the same effect. I don't think we're ever going to have a team hit that and let their draft pick drop that far in the future that much. Because as the Jazz know in the middle of a rebuild, your first round picks are valuable and dropping your own first round pick to 30, 32, we'll see, is not healthy um, for long-term growth. So that's the biggest threat of going over this. As I said, I think it's four times in five years which is what the um, luxury tax repeater has been for the last 10 or so. So if we think about this kind of at a macro level again, there's the second threshold. We've all been used to this luxury tax threshold. There's now a threshold even higher that implements additional punishments for exceeding or, or hitting that level. And you know, like, like you mentioned, there are some contracts that you may not be able to offer anymore. Um, there are trades that you will not be able to do anymore, and if you break it you know, enough times in, in a certain certain number of years, then you can also receive the worst first-round pick no matter where you end up um, based on, on your record that year. So all of that kind of just means you are extremely, extremely pigeonholed in the amount of talent you can add. So now this framework that as you mentioned the warriors the clippers uh, even the lakers have used in the past where hey we'll stack up all the talent we'll use our exceptions every year we can and we'll amass enough of these short long-term contracts that if enough of them hit enough of them are going to be valuable that we can parlay that all into the next thing we can sum it all up and parlay it into the next thing and then keep cycling in those kind of minimums again that, that could be helpful and all of this kind of starts counteracting that now you you really aren't able to add talent that is on a rookie scale contract because you're essentially getting like like you may have said kind of hinting at expansion here in the next couple of years uh, you may be adding what has historically been the equivalent of an early second round pick so really really interesting stuff as far as the second apron um so let think through it with me who are the teams that are immediately facing you know the coming to grips with this reality right now it's like <laughs> the warriors the clippers it's the Pacific Division, yeah. <laughs> except for the Kings. Um, no, in like in your face short term pressure, it's the Clippers and the Warriors yeah. have got to figure it out soon. Um, the Suns have kind of put themselves in that group, yeah, with some pressure there. And then you have a teams like Miami and the Lakers and whatnot who have kind of floated in that area in the last five ten years who are kind of in the position the Suns were three weeks ago of saying, do we want to do it? And do we want to not do it? And if we are going to do it, if we can find a way to do it, we probably want to do it now because it's going to be harder to get to that level um, in the future. Like, as we mentioned, teams will want to stay below that second apron. In reality, it's going to be hard for teams to get above that second apron. Um, you're going to have to go out of your way to do it. And get a, um, if you want to do it, or you're just going to have to hit on a million draft picks, kind of like the Warriors did, where you hit on all your all when you hit on all your own draft picks, then you have to pay yeah. them. That's the, really the only realistic avenue for a random team like the Jazz to get into that second apron danger, which is a good problem to have, right? Like, I think as Jazz fans, we'd all be okay trying to figure that out if these three draft picks the Jazz just had turned into Steph, Clay, and Draymond, like. You deal with it and it's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So let's let's maybe shift gears a little bit and kind of look at the other end of the spectrum in a, in a way. Kind of you know your average team, you know who's who's not um, who who's not you know ultimately just you know taking out of their minds you know all minimum guys you know that type of thing. But you know more your average team. There's kind of been some expansion in in the avenues teams can go. There's some some new contracts that can be handed out, uh, some new permutations on how you can kind of assemble teams, kind of how you can extend your own players. Uh, so talk me through a little bit of what's changed there. I know, I know we yeah, hinted I about thing, some of it on, at the end of the, the NBA Draft Live um, stream. We did, and I made a mistake there that I didn't know the time that came out today that people were kind of surprised by. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of things stayed the same. <clears throat> they changed some of the values. And straight up, not only just financial values, but worth of some of those assets. So things like the mid-level. It's really easy to Jazz fan to explain the mid-level exception because we've had all three in the last few years. There's three types of mid-levels. There's the Ed Davis mid-level, which is we have cap space and teams with cap space complained that the other 25 teams got an exception and they didn't. And so they said, fine, we'll give you a super cheap one just to keep you quiet. So they give you a tiny mid-level the Jazz used it on Ed Davis, uh, what was that, four or five yeah. years ago now? You have the big mid-level, which is in between the salary cap and the luxury tax, really the first apron, the salary cap and the first apron. This is what the Jazz used on Derek Favors when the Jazz were in a very comfortable financial position. They were growing with Mitchell and Gobert. They had the full mid-level. And then you have the tax mid-level, which is, well, it was between the two. Now it's actually the cheapest of the three. Um, and that's the Rudy Gay mid-level. So those are the three different variations of the mid-level. Ed Davis, Derek Favors, Rudy Gay. Um, not very often you get to see a team use all three, and I think it was back-to-back-to-back years, and all three didn't live up to expectations. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's not what this podcast is for. All three are now gone from the Jazz, and all three are probably going to be out of the league here in a couple days if Rudy Gay gets cut by the Hawks. Um... But as I mentioned, they shuffled those around a ton. So let's start with the taxpayer, um, the Rudy Gay one that the Jazz aren't going to have for theoretically a long time. As I mentioned, it used to be three years. The Jazz gave Rudy Gay a three-year contract, a two-plus player option. That has been cut from about $7 million down to $5 million and shrunk from three years to two years. So another kind of apron thing of let's limit the high-spending teams. Um, Let's make them have as little as possible. We're going to take away $2 million. We're going to take away a year. And we'll just give them what's basically a second biannual exception. Um, Yeah, this is a big weapon for, you know, those teams who are already in the tax and frankly want to snag a veteran player who... Joe Ingles... Dante DiVincenzo, there was a good chunk. There was five or six of these last year. So that that's kind of a big weapon to take away the year and uh, and the uh, and, and the max that you can go with those values, because now you know teams who who might be competing for that player who can offer those more years and higher dollars, all of a sudden the security that a veteran might be looking for at that stage of his career it may not be worth it anymore to, you know, just go with this, you know, exception with the, uh, with the, I guess, good team who's looking for just more depth. Yeah. And so, um, mid-levels can be split between multiple players. You look at a guy like Rudy Gay, uh, two years ago, if this is the scenario and the jazz are offering him three years, but another kind of more mediocre team is offering him, three years and the Jazz could have only offered two at the time, maybe Rudy Gay doesn't come to Utah, right? That it really gives advantage to the middle teams more than the contending teams, um, just in terms of both more money, which has always been the case, but now especially more years. Um, So yeah, I don't think that will get used nearly as much, both because the second apron takes it away completely and it's just way less valuable now. Um, But they really, really strengthened opportunities for lower and middle paying teams. So I mentioned the Ed Davis one where if you have cap space like the Jazz this year, it used to be you had a little two year deal to throw like at Ed Davis for like ten million dollars, yep. right? 
they've boosted that way up to about seven and a half million starting salary and you can now do a third year on that so the jazz will have access to that here in the next two weeks um we know for a fact the jazz are going to be a room team because of the john collins trade that will officially happen next season yeah right on paper will happen next week which will be next season so the jazz will have to go and use salary cap to make that trade finish off and then they'll have that at their disposal. A three-year deal instead of a two-year deal, and it'll be worth $7.5 million instead of $5 million in that first year, which is really you know, $5.5, 6000000 over the course of two years, or now even a third year, you're getting an extra $12, 13000000 million total, yeah. right? So another great example of let's help these teams that aren't spending as much spend a little more, maybe bolster their roster a tiny bit. Yeah, there's another, there's another provision right on that right on that front in which teams now have to hit a certain um, a certain sa- total salary of rostered players by the start of the regular season. Walk us through that change because it's it's a pretty big change given some of the teams we've seen in the past couple of years like Oklahoma City and others. Yeah, so it's a great thing to bring up here as well as teams are going to have to rush towards that. It's always been a 90% floor. Um, that's been a thing for, I want to say, since the late 90s. Um, the big CBA after Michael Jordan retired really shook things up with the 50-game season. I think it's been since then, but it used to be if you didn't hit 90%, first of all, it was calculated the last day of the regular season, not the first yeah. day of the regular season. That's a big 170-day <laughs> difference right there. That's We've a big the trade already. deadline. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, And it used to be you could use that cap space of the trade deadline to take on bad contracts. Nope, you got to get to 90%, which at this point's uh, the salary cap's 134, so 13.4 million below. Um, yeah, big change right there. First day of the season. The punishment, air quotes, it used to be you had to pay that extra money. So if you were 80%, you had to pay that 10% to your own players. Yeah. Not really a punishment. Really good PR. You mentioned the Thunder did it. Uh-huh. I mean, imagine going to every player at the end of the season and be like, hey, we didn't spend enough money. Here's an extra $2 million for you. Yeah, like, most all these guys are rookies, and then yeah, vets they're all like Nick Collison and, some and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, so they would give, they'd basically, if you were at 80%, you're boosting it to 90%. Um, you had to go nine divided by eight, and they just give everyone a, a bonus. 12.5% bonus, right? No one's complaining about that. Sweet. Give me my extra 12.5%. I'll go out into the summer with an extra million dollars in my hand, yep. right? Now that money is going to all 500 players in the league instead of just on the team. So you have no real PR reasons to do that. Basically, I don't think any teams will do this, but if a team did it now, every player in the NBA would get like a couple thousand dollars, right? Which is not the same. Um, The other big thing is I'm sure people have seen in the past trade deadline season, teams will make small moves. The Jazz did this one year to get under the luxury tax. Yep. They'll go from a million over the luxury tax to a million under the luxury tax. And people will go, why? I mean, a million over the luxury tax is like a million dollar fine. Like, it's not a big deal. Well, it's not the million you're paying. It's the qualifier that anybody who doesn't pay the tax gets that money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if there's a bucket of luxury tax, it's not that you're worried to pay the million in. It's that you want your 10 million coming out. Um, And now if you're under that 90% on opening day, you don't get that at all. So you're basically treated as a luxury tax team when it comes to paying out at the end of the season, which a lot of uh, small market teams, um, not quite the Jazz, although they've done it too, but you've really seen some other small market teams have used this as a big financial boost. In recent seasons with the Warriors and Clippers going crazy, it's been like $15 million per team just right in their pocket. You don't want to miss out on $15 million because you didn't hit the salary floor, right? That's a very simple thing little asterisk it's a 50 percent this year and then at that point goes into full effect so regardless i think you'll for sure see teams like the pistons are a great example the jazz are an okay example of teams that will be looking to get to that 90 percent on opening day um there's just no benefit to staying under like as i said it used to be you could take on salaries at the trade deadline give your players some extra cash who really cares Um, not the case anymore. So the Jazz will be looking to get to that 90% number, which they should have no problem doing with the John Collins trade. That takes up just about everything of it. If if Clarkson opts out and walks, then yeah, you'll sign another player. Simple enough. (laughs) 
Yeah, a, a great segue, I think. Let's let's talk about the impact that this new CBA and some of the deals and transactions that have already taken place, how those kind of intersect and what it kind of means for the Jazz. So the Jazz selected three rookies in this past draft. There was quite a bit of speculation that because we had three rookies, we had three sophomores on the team, and and frankly, a lot of the roster was still kind of up in the air that the Jazz might you know, kick an asset down the road, um, trade out of one of those picks, or consolidate them. They ended up making all three picks. And so... You know what? What does what does uh, you know these cap holds mean? What do the roster spots kind of mean for the Jazz? Um, any any unique things with the CBA as far as you know first round rookies? Uh, I do think we hinted at you know second round picks and some some new stuff there. Technically, doesn't apply to the Jazz this time around, but it could have had the Jazz trade back into the second round. Yeah, no, for sure. It changes. It impacts every team, right? some more directly than others, but you mentioned the Jazz did not trade 28 into the second round because the value between 30 and 31 is just not what it was a year ago, right? A year ago, you got 30, you got four years, you got 31, you probably got two years out of them, right? Um, So there's a second round exception. Fun fact, that doesn't hit the cap sheet until July 31st. So they can sign, play in summer league, but then in reality, they didn't sign until July 31st is kind of the logic there. Um, So that's kind of fun. Uh, doesn't impact the Jazz at all. The big thing I think that happened with rookies is extensions coming off rookie contracts, and this is more for probably Ochai Obaji, maybe, if he improves a little bit, or Walker Kessler if he comes back to earth a little bit. All rookie extensions now can be five years. Mm. Um, they used to only be able to be four years unless it was the max. Yeah. So, like, Donovan got five years coming off. Um, but... If you sign, you can now sign like a five-year, hundred million-dollar contract coming off your rookie sale instead of a having to be a max or only four years. So that's kind of fun. Um, other than that, there's not too much change with the rookie scales. They stayed exactly the same percentage of the cap. Um, they still hit at 120 percent the second they're drafted. Um, they st- every you know probably 97 percent of first-round draft picks are still signing at that 120 percent number. Because if you're a team, it's just good PR on such small dollars to give them the extra 20%. You don't want to be the one team that doesn't give them uh, what they can earn. So nothing too exciting with first-round picks, which I think is a win for the league and just goes to show how well things were going with previous things. Rosters are expanding a little bit with a third two-way contract, am I right? They are. They are with some... Technically, on paper, this is a trial run. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so the NBA Players Association. Here, sorry, one sec. The NBA Players Association's main goal is get our players paid. Right. Yeah. That is what they're there to do. They're there to represent the players and make sure money hits pockets. There is fear of the last couple of years that teams will stay away from signing a fifteenth player on the roster, and just go with two ways. So if players start going with a third two-way over a 15th normal roster spot, the Players Association does have the opportunity to say, no, we're going back to two. Um, you're not using this as a loophole to not pay players, you know, what is that, 420 to 450, right? Yeah. Um, so they do still have to hit that number. I haven't seen the exact number. I have to go find it. But in years past, they've had something similar that at least half the teams in the NBA have to have a 15th player. Half can have 14, half can have 15. It's kind of been the rule in the past. But in general, I expect teams to not be obnoxious about that. Teams love talent. The more people you get attached to your team, the more likely you are to find a Nicole Jokic or a Max Struess or a Duncan Robinson um, in the rough. And so teams, I'm sure, will just love having a 15th player on their roster and having a third two-way player. So you get an extra roster spot in the offseason. You can now go to 21 instead of 20. That's something I didn't know this morning. Um, then you do get that third two-way roster spot as well. So you'll now get 18 teams attached to your team. I would assume this changes a lot in the current CBA with some more minor changes. I would expect here the next three, four, five, six years to just have 10 two-ways and a full-on minor league system similar to baseball. Um, we're still waiting on one team. Uh, I can't remember who it is because the Nuggets got one. The Blazers are starting yep. this year, and I can't remember 
who it is off the top of my head right now. But we're at 29 to 30 teams have a G League team. So we just need one more to really close things off. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. Um, I'll bet that that third two-way, what it means is you just see more more players of the two-way getting converted to um, to full contracts you know, throughout the year that they have now yeah. three players that they can draw from throughout the regular season and they end up liking one. You know, they hit that. I think it's 50 games, isn't it? And uh, then they become. They've kind of changed that a little bit too, uh, relaxed that a little bit. And they also, one thing I didn't know this morning, again, diving into this 700 page document, (laughs) it's really fun, is the last day to sign a two way player is now like March 5th ish, I think, instead of January 5th ish. So now you can do more things like that where you can sign your two way guy to a normal contract in February and still backfill that two way spot. Um, I mean, the G League season ends like March. 15th so basically throughout the entire G League season you can now backfill that two-way spot for as long as you need so let's talk the John Collins deal now because this was an interesting one there, there were a handful of opportunities uh, you could also look at them as pressures in that you know the Jazz have to hit you know the 90% floor by the first day of the regular season um, they have uh, several players that can opt out of their contract. They have cap space thanks to the Russell Westbrook trade, um, him coming off the books at the beginning of next season, which is here in just uh, a couple weeks. And then uh, one of the interesting things is that the reputation is that this is a weaker free agent class, but that next year's is quite strong. Next year's is a big opportunity for the Jazz. And then kind of out of nowhere, the Atlanta Hawks and Utah Jazz resurrected conversations that took place at last year's trade deadline and I think even the previous summer. Trade machine (laughs) Hall of Famer, John Collins. Yeah, yeah. So John Collins comes to the Jazz. Um, He brings two guaranteed years and a player option year, all uh, with $78.5 million guaranteed. Uh, Sends out Rudy Gay, who is prospectively opting into his his, uh, final year of his contract worth, I think, uh, just under $7 million, and a protected second. Um, that protected second isn't exactly what you think. I broke it down, but McCade, why don't you give us the rundown? Yeah, it's the uh, second round pick they got in the Jared Butler trade when they traded Aldama away for Jared Butler on draft night. They got a second from the Grizzlies. They then traded away half that second to the Warriors for Eric Pascal, and this is them trading the other half of that second away. So the Jazz don't have either half. Um, I think their exact half is top 12 one way, bottom 18 the other way. Regardless, it doesn't matter for the Jazz anymore. They've traded away that full second round yeah. pick. Um, just two halves to two different teams. And it's not ours to begin with. It was the Grizzlies. Correct. Yes. So so this this is a real interesting one because now the Jazz, you know, filled out more of their front court, which, you know, prior to, uh, prior to that move, the, the Jazz had drafted Taylor Hendricks. Um, as well, but they had a couple players coming off kind of in that spot. Luka Samanich is on a non-guaranteed deal. Uh, Yudoka Azubuki, we ended up not uh, not choosing to you know extend him or anything like that. Um, and so now the front court is a little bit more full, and we've got a lot more guaranteed dollars now on the books. Talk to me a little bit about your perception of. Um, of this move in the context of the new CBA, but then also how how this can be an opportunity, but then also you know a something to navigate as roster building goes forward. Yeah, so let's always try and break down a trade as the solid, the liquid, and the gas is what I always try and okay. go with. Um, the solid of the trade is you're getting John Collins, the player, right? I have a buddy who's not a basketball fan at all. He'll go to like a jazz game with me a year and just kind of ask how they're doing a couple times a year just because he knows I'm uh, I'm a jazz fan. I'll say Just that. a jazz fan. <laughs> yeah, and he said, I saw they made a trade today. Is the player they traded for any good? And I said, you know, he was good enough to get a five-year $125 million contract, and then he was bad enough for the Hawks to basically give him to us for free, so I don't know. <laughs> um... And I think that's the reality of it, right? And I think Danny Ainge probably feels the same way, and most of Jazz fans feel the same way. Doesn't hurt to grab him. He was good enough to get that contract. Hasn't quite lived up to it at this point. Not a bad contract by any means. We'll have to see how he is as a player. 
Um, and we can spend the next four or five months talking about the solid aspect of the trade, right? You lose Rudy Gay, you get John Collins. Yeah, a lot of people be fun a lot of people like to kind of rag on the, oh, professional sports really aren't like fantasy sports at all. But in a large sense, they actually are. You like everything oh, yeah. at a certain price. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, John Collins is making $10 million a year. We would have given up two, three first-round picks for him, right? Yeah, yeah. And if he was making $35 million, we probably don't make this trade going the other direction. Yeah, there, there's a reason. Um, so things with yeah, that. There's a reason why Cam Whitmore fell to 20. We can yeah. disagree about it, but clearly people didn't like the value proposition given given what so. it would have costed. So anyways. And, of course, we got to mention the Hawks. are Half the reason they're dumping the salaries, it's not just as simple as Collins is on a bad contract. It's we don't like his contract pushing up against the tax and aprons, right? So – it's all in context. Um, it ended up working out. As for the actual solid aspect of the deal, we could spend four months breaking it down, and we'll just have to wait and see on who John Collins actually is as a player, right? There's optimism he could be an all-star. There's fear he could be a bench player. Wide range of variants right there. We'll see how it all unfolds. Um, as for the liquid aspect of the trade, this is more what I think of as just assets-wise, what you give up, what not. Um, I think you got a great contract that's very tradable in bigger trades. You do have to match salary in all trades unless you have cap space. Sexton's great at $17 million, um, and John Collins will be great at $25 million. Those are two very tradable contracts. We were, uh, Nikola Vucevic signed today, and somebody said it was a bad contract, and I said, nope, anything between like 10 and 15% of the salary cap can never be a bad contract because it will always be able to match a salary in the trade. Yeah, you, yeah, and there's just not a lot of those. In right, the you got a guy who is not, 26, not even 26 years old yet has the yep. prototypical athleticism and frame that is highly sought after in the league. And yep. if you, yeah, the, the amount of money sounds big, but when you put it in context of the cap, it's 18%, 17%, 16%. Like that yeah. is super, um, it, super movable. The cap will go up and the salary will go down, which is why you get those good extreme numbers of, you know, a good 1% each year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now let's talk about the news I think hit yesterday. Taylor Horton Tucker had a player option this year. He has a final year on his contract worth $11 million. Uh, there was speculation that he could go either way. Um, I thought that he played quite well towards the end of the season when he was in the starting lineup. He had some of those games against the San Antonio Spurs and you know started hitting some big shots in the final minutes. I wondered if he and his agent were thinking, hey, weak free agent class, you know what, maybe this is the chance to get some more guaranteed years on, uh, on the horizon. Instead, Taylor Horton Tucker opts into his deal and uh, he's now hitting the Jazz uh, cap sheet at the full $11 million. Talk us through a little bit there. Yeah, I think if he was older, he would have opted out. Um, I think if you're 32 years old, you know, opting out of $11 million and signing a 3 for 40 is very valuable. Look at Draymond Green. Mm -hmm. He's kind of doing that right now. I don't think Draymond Green will quite get all his money back this coming year. But you take a little pay cut, you extend years, you make more money in your career. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker is younger than a lot of jazz players. Ochai Abaji, two-way Hauser, um, Joey Hauser is on a two-way, and a couple others. Like he, He's really young, right? Um, so I think he has another year to bet on himself and try and make him some more money next year. My, my favorite game. the free agency class might be a harder, but yeah. more teams will have money as well. Yeah. Anyway, go J on. Just on the, the age point, my favorite game is sitting down to a jazz game with family members who – who like your friend don't tune in very often yeah and i say how old do you think that player is it's it, it never ceases to amaze it's great um, <laughs> yeah um so i think he'll bet him on himself one more year is kind of the logic of him opting in so what are, what are your thoughts about remaining priorities for the jazz so like we probably honestly have to talk about big elephant in the room jordan clarkson's player option navigating that one is quite a bit interesting so He's got this player option of $14.3 million if he opts into that final year. Um, it's, it's worth mentioning that you know the Jazz and him didn't strike any extension um, throughout the, the window that they, they were permitted to last year. And he's now you know, poised to opt in or opt out. 
I personally uh, feel like he's opting out. And I, I buy that each side is motivated to bring him back. But like we kind of said just a handful of minutes ago, it's about the it's about the number. You know, what's the scenario for bringing him back? I also think both teams are kind of looking, both, not teams, but both parties are kind of looking for an out a little bit. Okay. Um, so you mentioned his numbers at 14 and a half ish. The mid levels at 12.4. You can do sign in trades. Um, I think he's going to opt out. I feel pretty confident on, not 100%, but probably 80% ish. I feel confident on that he'll opt out. Um, I would assume the Jazz go looking elsewhere. I will assume Clarkson goes looking elsewhere, but I assume they will end up calling each other towards the end and saying, hey, this is what we got. This is what you got. Does it make sense to actually just come back together? Um, A little bit running around and running back uh, to your ex, for lack of a better phrase. So we'll see exactly what happens. I do think both both parties are interested to move on, but not because of hard feelings. There will be conversations for him to come back as well. Yeah, like... I, I, I totally buy the public public message of, hey, we really value Jordan Clarkson's culture. You know, we, we value him as a member of the organization. Uh, he's Ryan Smith's buddy. Like, I totally buy all that. And I actually buy what Jordan Clarkson says. He likes all the guys. He likes Utah. I think he likes being kind of like a cultural icon, standout type uh, in the state. Um and I think just on the surface, yeah, I'd like to come back. Oh, yeah, we'd like him to come back. When they actually sit in on meetings and you discuss the deal, like I don't know why Clarkson isn't pushing for like a, I don't know, three for 80 deal, frankly. And yeah. the Jazz, I think, are like, oh, well, can we get close to like three for 60? Like a Vucevic type deal? And and will they kind of you know hit a middle ground there? I, I don't know, but I, I do think that that they're they're not kidding when they say offhand, oh yeah, I want to be back. I love Utah. I love Jordan Clarkson. But but it is interesting, like you say, they're, they're going to run the gamut, and they'll they'll have all their their options open to them. Yeah, and Clarkson's thirty one, and he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to compete in the league. Um, he had the one playoff run with Cleveland where he ended up getting benched because he wasn't very good. He was obviously here for some success in Utah, but that obviously fizzled out probably quicker than Clarkson had hoped for. Um, and so I think he'll want to go looking for a team that fits his 31-age timeline a little bit better, and the Jazz will look for a younger player that fits their timeline a little bit better. But as I said, I would never rule out an opportunity or a thought exercise where they end up calling each other um, on you know day three, four, five of free agency and saying, hey, I didn't really find much, did you? No, okay, well then come back and... Maybe we'll trade you in February or next summer, whatever it may be. Um, but the team with bird rights is always going to be in a pretty comfortable position, yeah. especially when the number hits higher than that mid-level. Yeah, yeah certainly. The other kind of priority, at least that I'm, I'm kind of seeing, looking at the, the roster, reading the tea leaves, is kind of the point guard talent. We have a lot of a certain kind of talent, a certain profile player, a certain level of talent. right? We've got a lot of great, frankly, really great second and third string guards. Taylor Horton Tucker, um, we, we've got Chris Dunn, Keontae George, and then we've got a lot of combos, a lot of... Um, you know, guys who, who like to who like to dribble the ball, have the ball in hand, Jordan Clarkson, Bryce Sensabaugh, Colin Sexton. And we've got some guys who can play a little combo who are fine to be off ball, but they want to be in the actions. Colin Sexton, Oshaya Baji. So we got a lot of certain profile players. I, I think there's a big glaring weakness for passing on this team. Um, and for just kind of general initiation, competent initiation of the offense. Um, what, what are you thinking as far as uh, point guard talent? What should we be going after? What can we go after? Where's our money situation? Where, what can we get to? Um, because we do have a partial guarantee in Kelly Olynyk. Everybody kind of put on your, uh, your number hats on right now because we're going to dive into a little bit. I'm assuming... Kelly Olynyk's contract guarantee is here in about four hours. So I'm assuming by the time most people are listening to this, it's been announced that the Jazz are guaranteeing that. We'll see exactly yeah. what happens. Um, but that is about four hours from now. 
As for avenues is, assume Clarkson opts out, you don't care to bring him back, so you're talking to other free agents. You're at about 19 million, but going back to your point, it's not a strong free agency class, you're not getting Kyrie, James Harden, or Fred Van Vliet with 19 million. So really, kind of what are your options? Um, you could always try and swing a trade. Like, I guarantee the Jazz are calling about Luka and getting shut down. I guarantee the Jazz are calling about Dame and getting shut down. And I guarantee the Jazz have made a call about Darius Garland and probably got shot down, yeah. right, if you want to go more the all-star route. But those calls have happened, and those teams know to call if something does change the next year, right? right? Yeah. Um, you could also go after six nine point guard Matas Buzilis, I think is how you pronounce it. He's going to be the number one overall pick next yes, year. Yes, yeah. Um, could be a he's six nine six ten, kind of a Magic Johnson vibe. Obviously, he's super young. No one knows exactly what's going to be, but that's obviously a path in a absolutely loaded Western Conference. Where at this moment on June twenty eighth, all fifteen teams are trying to make the plan. That will change come December or January, and that will really change come March. But as of June, all 15 teams are trying to make the plan. Um, and so there's just a lot of options that you can go. And luckily, with the amount of assets the Jazz have, both in financial cap space a little bit, as well as picks, as well as good tradable contracts, um, I don't think they have to be in a super rush to get that solved in the next month. So what uh, what are you thinking as far as, as far as specific potential routes? Because the, there, there are some interesting restricted free agents – that the Jazz could entertain, I, I don't know, chase chase the ball of yarn for a little bit if they want to. Um, you know, that ball of yarn is a lot shorter than the new CBA. Okay, yeah, break it that down to for be us. In the, in the Paul Millsap Boozer era, that time frame, um, shout out Wesley Matthews. It was I think seventy two hours, and then it was forty eight, and now it's twenty four hours. So now it's only a day to wait on a restricted free agent, which makes it a lot more tempting. Then, because they're on your cap sheet during that waiting yeah. period, like you can't do anything. They are assigned to your team while you're waiting, and now it's technically it's somewhere between 24 hours and 47 hours and 59 minutes, depending on when they actually sign. Um, assuming most teams sign at 11 p.m. at night, it's yeah 25 hours to match. So and that was part of the. It's a little different. Yeah, and that was part of the disruption during the Gordon Hayward offseason. I think we were we were ready to go with the restricted free agency offer to Otto Porter Jr. Brooklyn Nets yeah. ended up giving him that offer, which he signed, Washington matched. But we were but kind of waiting on Gordon. They have no reason to match for 48 hours. Yeah, right. If you're the team, you could sit there for 47 and a half hours and then match. Like, you don't need to match in 30 minutes. Yeah, but it, it, it so. precluded us from, you know, having having the money to go with Gordon if we... Uh, if if he was ready to go, turned out to you know we got kind of you know played like a fiddle there. But uh, but now this much shorter time frame, yeah, a Trey Jones, San Antonio, and Austin Reeves uh, for the Lakers. You know those are those are actual little games that, that you might yeah there. that you that you could you know entertain if you wanted to. Then there's the normal free agency game. Um, a lot of people are talking Fred Van Vliet. Um, he's kind of the one shiny guard option out there on the free agency market. Um, all indications, I believe, are pointing to him moving on from Toronto, really kind of chasing that money, chasing a new role. Um, I mean, just just from a from a cap standpoint, you know, what would it take to to actually land uh, Fred VanVleet? Yeah, so. He's looking for a massive deal, right? Whether he gets out or not, we'll see. Um, Houston could throw him out like forty million, but I'd be okay with that as a Jazz fan. Yeah, yeah. There's right? talk of uh, you know <laughs> two for eighty from Houston. Um, I sweet, go for it. I would be shocked if Fred went for just a two-year contract if three's out there on the table. But yeah, I don't know. But if it's eighty million dollars, then maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. No, but I think that goes back to the point of why the Jazz are in such a good position is if you do have interest in Fred Van Viet, which I think is very reasonable, and he wants, say, three years, $95 million, yeah. or four years, $125 million, is you have $18 million in cap space, which means you need to send out about $12 million in salary, presumably in a sign-and-trade in Toronto, maybe elsewhere, you can figure that out. But you have great movable contracts in that range, guys like Taylor Horton Tucker and Kelly Olynyk. 
that are great death pieces. I'm sure Kelly Linux can have a pretty solid uh, trade market this year. I feel good that there's a team out there who would take THT on an expiring. And so you have, and if you really, depending on what you want to do, you could always get rid of Colin Sexton too at $17 million. Um, and so you have these good contracts that, yeah, if you can get into a good conversation with Fred Van Viet, you don't need THT at that point. You have an extra guard coming in. It can make things simple um, to just find a trade and move on. So uh, I'll give everybody a peek behind the curtain. Earlier today, a bizarre thought came to mind that I messaged McCade about. And the bizarre thought kind of goes through a little bit of a good, in my opinion, CBA exercise, roster building, <laughs> uh, transaction type um, type kind of logic. And I think it would be interesting to kind of get some thoughts on it, perhaps not from a practical practicality standpoint necessarily but but from a, a theory of hey if people were kind of in agreement on this core what would be the steps to making it actually feasible so what i messaged mccain and i'll just kind of read it verbatim here i, I thought it was so hilarious i i said help me think through the implications of a deal where the core is damian lillard to the los angeles lakers austin reeves in a sign and trade to the utah jazz or a sign-and-trade equivalent, and then pet picks and salary filler to the Portland Trailblazers. So the the thought behind this and kind of the exercise is saying, how can this be accomplished from a salary matching, hey, everything's kind of kosher with the CBA, but also trying to avoid some of those, uh, some of those situations that sign-and-trades can put you in a precarious uh, point with hard capping or whatever. I, I can't remember the terminology. So help me think through this, McCade. Nope, hard capping is spot on. Um, so first got to match money, yeah. right? Which we didn't get a chance to talk about this. One of the things they're really doing to help teams out is they've really widened the matching range. So it used to be 175% on cheap players. Now it's 200%. Used to be 125%. I think that's boosted. I need to go look at all, but um, it used to be if you're within five million, this applies. Now it's at seven and a half million. So they've really widened the yeah. range of how much you have to match, which makes sense as the cap goes higher. Five million dollars isn't what it used to be in terms of matching <laughs> Correct, salary, yeah. right? And they're they're actually so starting to scale easier. everything far more to just they this. are luxury taxes doing that. Yeah. Um, contracts have always done that like a rookie uh, minimums, maximums, that sort of yeah. stuff. But yeah, they've fully bought into that. Um, Dame's still cheapish right now. He has an extension that's going to give him a huge raise here True. shortly, but he's cheapish today. Um, the Austin Reeves situation with what we call the Gilbert Arenas rule. It's not what it's called in the CBA, but we like naming things after players. <laughs> they can't do that in a more formal sense. Makes him a super fun, unique agent um, yeah he's looking at a very very rare scenario that's going to never happen because of the new second round pick exception it's going to happen basically never even now but for this trade to work you got to sign austin reeves to a big amount you probably got to send out some salary yeah it's going to be approaching that like four for 120 that seems to be like yeah. the the amount that hey if you're if you want to push the lakers if you want to put them in a tough bind then you got to be kind of in that range. So this actually brings up a great point. Look at me. You're stumping me right now. I don't know the rules here. So the most the Lakers can offer Austin Reeves is like four for 50. It's just the four-year MLE, I believe, is what it is. Um, whatever. He's worth more than that, right? The most the Jazz can offer Austin Reeves is like four for 100. And how that's structured on the Lakers cap sheet is like 12, 13, 30, 32. Oh, my goodness. Um, which is super weird yeah. because, uh, long story short, the Warriors lost Gilbert Arenas 20 years ago, and they said, hey, put this in here. And then it hasn't been used since, really, and now it's being used with Austin Reeves. But that's the exact kind of generic breakdown is they, they have to pay him what they can the first two years, and then they're allowed to go up to the max the last two mm. years. So it's like 4 for 100, but it's like 12, 14, yeah, 31, 33, whatever it is that I have to run the exact numbers. I wonder if um, if the Lakers and Austin Reeves and Team X, in this case the Jazz, all agreed to yeah. it, if they can give him more than that 100 number. Um, because at that point, the Lakers don't care about matching rights. Right. 
So does that rule still apply? That's a good thought I'd have to look into. A, what the rules are today, and B, what the rules will be yeah. in 48 hours. Because yeah. <laughs> those are two different things on top of that, right? Um, so I don't know. Yeah, because a lot of I've teams... never seen that, never thought yeah, of that. Yeah, because a lot of teams, frankly, you know, ha- are, are coveting uh, Austin Reeves right now. Um, he, he really showed not just impressive production, but a lot of traits that tell you a good portion of that production is likely to continue, especially on a, on a team where there's good support around him. And, you know, he is that type of mold and initiating big guard. And so part of my, my exercise here was saying, Hey, if the jazz wanted to go after Austin Reeves as kind of a, a young initiating guard with size, even on his upcoming contract, if he plays just as well as, as he did um, last year, you know, that's, that's tradable still, in my opinion. And, um, and I think the Lakers are going to try to match anything, they, they, uh, any offer that Austin receives in re- restricted free agency. But I think if it was Damian Lillard that is the opportunity cost there, like if sacrificing Reeves opened up Damian Lillard, I think that they could, they would have significant, significant interest. And, um, and on the Portland side, the Jazz, I think, have the have the the picks and kind of the the salaries that can kind of get them out of some real long term money that might be attractive. Anyways, it it's it's a it's a route that piqued my interest from just a could this even work if people agreed on the on the foundational framework. And so I'm glad that we got to talk through it. I'll say there's almost always a way. <laughs> the Miami Heat have definitely enough, showed us. There's enough loopholes that you can always find yeah, a way. Yeah, Miami Heat have definitely showed us that uh, when there's a Heat culture, there's a way. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's, in the last couple minutes that we have, let's talk interesting items around the league that have already kind of taken place. Let's start on the Nikola Vucevic extension or um, he got three, four, sixty million. A lot of people are really, really um, ganging up on Chicago, saying, "What are you doing? Terrible contract." But uh, you put out a tweet there saying, "Hey, this is a good deal." And uh, I think that in the context of the CBA, how the cap is raising, we got to look at figures a bit differently. Um, feel free to sh- to share more of your thoughts on that front. Yeah, I mean the salary cap's 134 million for 15 players. Um, that's about eight million dollars a player if you just broke it up, you know, super evenly. Um, 20 million is no longer an expensive contract. I think Kobe Bryant was the most expensive player in like 2008-ish at 22 million or something like that, and so that's what we think of. It's like, well, Kobe only made, yeah, Kobe Bryant didn't make 22 million until 2010. Um, I just looked it up. That's just not where we're at anymore, yeah. right? Um, people are making money left and right. Like Walker Kessler is going to get like 45, 47 million in his fifth year. Like it's just ridiculous money, yeah. right? Um, 20 million is nothing anymore. Vucevic is a really good player, former All Star. It's a very tradable contract, both if you want the player or just his salary matching. It's just really hard for contracts between like 7 and 23 million to ever be bad, right? Like, you're never going to really have to go out of your way to unload him. I mean, look at John Collins. That was a bad contract, and they still got off of it for nothing. Um, basically for free, but not a negative asset by any means. And so Vucevic will age the same way as that Collins contract probably, where it's like, if you really want to get off of it, there'll be a team that'll be like, we'll take him and his skill set for $20 million and not think twice about it. Um, yeah, it's a great... It's just good to have middle-range contracts in a growing NBA. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a situation recently where someone um, kind of referring to the reported four years, hundred million dollar contract that Cam Johnson is, is uh, facing right now uh, mentioned that uh, a former jazz man who played one year with the jazz Armin Gilliam uh, made a grand total of 25 million in his career. If you take that as a percentage of the cap during his career, that would have been, 14.7 percent of the cap 
And based on cap projections, even if Cam Johnson gets this big contract, he's still at only 10% of the cap throughout his entire career. Yeah. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. And so you just, we got to, I wish there'd be a site out there. Let's start this, yep. Adam. This is my new idea. Let's start a website that puts the salary cap of everyone, but we just put it in. The cap's always 100%. And this is what it is. Now go figure it out and might be digested a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. I know on Spotrack you can you see the figure and then the percent is off kind of in the corner. You know, like yeah. grayed out text, you know, small text. It, it needs to be flipped at this point. We got to flip this. Uh, you know, we need a hover that says, oh, here are some people who have been at 14% of the cap in the last 10 years. And you're just like, oh, oh. Oh, that, that person was at fourteen percent. Okay, yeah, th- this is fine. That is okay. So, shout out to the NBA and the players for making the NBA so valuable. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the Vucevic contract's fine. I do think it's interesting. Nasrid contract, same mm. thing, three for forty-two. I do want to point out those two contracts real fast, though, and the fact that they are contract extensions before June thirtieth. Um, would not be super duper uber surprised to see something happen like that with. Clarkson, I need to look at the exact rules on. I think he has to opt in and extend, which is probably unlikely. Uh, but there are still a couple of those that th- the season still has 48 hours left from when we're recording this. And things can still happen, and sometimes it is in teams' advantages, especially as the rules change so much in 48 hours to get things done this year instead of uh, in 2023 24. Yeah, another interesting one, the Minnesota Timberwolves had Torian Prince, uh, I believe, as a a non-guaranteed team option for this final year, and they chose not to bring him back, so he is hitting the unrestricted free agency market. And I think his number was... Former Jazz pick. uh, Yeah, another former Utah Jazz pick that never played for the Jazz, (laughs) thanks to the one-year George Hill experiment. Actually was a, a very successful experiment. But yeah. Um, yeah, so his number was like, like seven million, and now he's on the unrestricted, unrestricted, uh, unrestricted free agency market. Um, talk to me about that deal and your thoughts. So, um, I have two pieces of advice for anybody who looks at a move and is like, "Why in the world would a team do this?" Number one, ask yourself the opportunity cost. What is the opportunities around that they're gaining or not gaining? In this case scenario, as we talked about, they're going from the Two years starting at $5 million, so two years, $10,500,000 contract MLE to the four-year $50 million MLE. Mm. You're going to need that extra couple years, couple, you know, not even a couple. I mean, it's $7 million per year to go get yourself a really good player. So you're gaining the opportunity cost likely of using the full MLE instead of the taxpayer MLE. You're keeping away from the tax, which never hurts and whatnot. So that's why they did it is they'll give them access to a different MLE. Um... My second piece of advice is if you don't ever understand a move, just shoot me a message on Twitter and I'll figure it out and answer it for you. But those are my two pieces of advice. What's the opportunity cost on trade, signings, cuts, anything like that? And how does that impact what else the team can do? Um, A great example of this is the Jazz trading away Mike Conley and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And now you have cap space to trade for John Collins. Neither of those moves make a ton of sense on their own. They make a ton of sense if you put the two together. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. And, and frankly, the John Collins deal in a vacuum, when you look at it from the Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks side, most people are you know ready to file malpractice suits against the front office for the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. But when you look at their books, you look at who is up for extensions, it suddenly becomes a lot more clear if we hold on to Collins for longer, we miss out on X, Y, and Z. If we trade him... Mm-hmm. And have you know more more uh, room to maneuver with our money situation. We now can do X, Y, and Z, and we don't have to think about second apron and stuff uh, for a while. Alrighty, well that is our free agency primer. We're Hitting down the hours until free agency begins here pretty soon. Um, this this offseason has already been just a ton of fun. And not just because the NBA dropped this, the new CBA at this 
you know, really interesting time to, uh, you know, allow McKay to geek out about it. Um, but also just, you know, the draft wrapped up. You know, we had an awesome finals. Um, this is going to be an interesting free agency cycle. And summer leagues, you know, coming up here really soon. Just a lot of incredible stuff. Thank you, McKay, so much for um, jumping on with me, breaking this all down. Tell us where we can find your Twitter account and uh, interact with you there. Yeah, thanks for having me. If anyone has any questions at all, I'm actively going through the 700-page document trying to answer all my own questions. Um, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. Um, free agency starts uh, Friday, June 30th, 6 o'clock Mountain. Um, random fact, that's my birthday. And every year, my parents and wife and everyone's like, what do you want to do for your birthday? And I'm like, I'm going to sit down and see where all the free agents sign at 6.01 p.m. That's how I spend my birthday every year and see where everybody signs at 6.01 p.m. because I love this stuff so much. So fun annual tradition there that if anyone has any questions over the next two, three weeks as things unfold very fastly, feel free to reach out. All right. Thank you so much. Again, if you enjoy what we're doing here at Jabber Jazz, please give us uh, a subscription on your podcast app, on YouTube. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz. Leave us a review or a comment. We'd love to interact with you. And as is customary here, we're going to leave you with some sounds of jazz. Thank you.